Hello, and welcome to the Platform Podcast, part of the Marketplace Risk Master's Program. The Master's Program offers a full suite of virtual content, engagement, and resources focused on risk management, trust and safety, and legal strategy for startups. Be sure to download the mobile app from the Master's Program on the Marketplace Risk website to connect with hundreds of participants, speakers, and sponsors directly. The Master's Program is presented by Aon, Checker, PackSafe, and we want to thank them and all of our sponsors, including Appers Insights, King & Spalding, Seifarth Shaw, Sitter City, Spectrum Labs, Tint AI, and Willis Towers Watson. Check out the Master's Program Sponsor Center on the Marketplace Risk website for more information about our sponsors to view content they have contributed and to contact them directly. Thank you for tuning into the Platform Podcast, hosted by Marketplace Risk's L. Tucker, a former journalist who writes, speaks, and consults on the sharing of gig economy. L. is also the chair of the Marketplace Risk Advisory Board. Please note, this podcast has been prepared for informational purposes and is not legal advice by the Marketplace Risk team or the presenters. The material discussed should not be construed as legal advice or a legal opinion on any specific issue. We urge you to consult a lawyer concerning your own situation and any specific legal questions you may have. Please contact us at info@marketplacerisk.com, and we can put you in touch with the appropriate professional. And now, without further ado, I will hand things over to Al. Welcome to the latest episode of the Platform Podcast. Today I am thrilled to welcome Gillian Slyfield, who is Aon's Digital Economy Practice Leader. Welcome, Gillian, to the Platform Podcast. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Now, Gillian has a fascinating role and has worked in the disruptive world for um, quite a a while now, I think, Gillian. And I think I'm right in saying that what you do, you have quite a a unique role because what you do encompasses the the on-demand economy um, quite, quite broadly, doesn't it? It does. We look after um, all businesses who have either derived exclusively out of the digital world or legacy businesses that have new digital capabilities that require a different type of risk management approach. Now, what I'm fascinated about, I suppose, really, this the, what we call the, the on-demand economy, and I, I hear the term on-demand quite a lot, and I sort of toyed with it sometimes when I'm explaining things about the sharing and gig economy. How would you define that exactly? Is it just something um, that can be accessed via an online platform or app, whether it's a, a service or um, an asset or, you know, how, how would you actually define the on-demand um, term? Well, I think that's one of the trickiest things. So you've asked me the most challenging question right <laughs> out of the gate. So we, we called our practice digital economy because we wanted it to encompass what's on demand which is often platform-based kind of utilities that you can use immediately and or services that you can use immediately and that's the on-demand piece Um, but we also didn't want to call the practice sharing because if you look at the sharing economy that's typically the sharing of highly valued assets from some from an owner of the asset um, to someone who needs that asset on a temporary basis, which is a part of the on-demand economy, but not its entirety. So it's quite broad, but we look at companies who are platform-based, um, typically platform marketplaces. Um, oftentimes, if you were to open up your mobile phone and you kind of pull out the gaming, what's left is what's um, what we are typically working with. 
And then we also look at mobility as a service. And mobility as a service is a part of the on-demand economy, but it's so big that we pull it out and say it specifically because that's businesses like rideshare companies, car share, subscription autos, autonomous vehicles, um, the scooters and the bikes. And then, of course, in, in this time of pandemic, we're all very aware of platform-enabled delivery companies, whether that's food or groceries or other goods. Um, so it's really a, a fairly broad swath. Do you have a, a favorite out of all of these? Was there a sort of a type of maybe mobility of ser- uh, as a service or or something in the world of maybe the gig economy or sharing when when you came across it where you just thought oh, that is just a, a brilliant idea i can't I can't wait to to find out more about it. What's really piqued your interest? Oh, that's interesting. You know, I think what I get most excited about um, are the companies that take something that's very simple and make it easier for us to use something that you thought was kind of ubiquitous and, and, you know, rideshare for as, um, as commonplace as it is today, whether um, you're taking kind of an, an Uber or a Lyft or a Grab um, that, that took something that we were all doing before, which is short-term transportation, typically with a taxi or um, trying to find a friend to take us from point A to point B and made it so much easier that all of a sudden I can't even, imagine what I would do without it. I didn't know I needed it, by the way, and I didn't think of the idea, but mm-hmm. now that it's here, I, I truly can't imagine how I would navigate a city, particularly when traveling um, without that. And, and I think those are the things that pique my interest the most is something that I hadn't known I needed. And the second I've used once, it becomes something I can't imagine giving mm-hmm. up. And I'm going to flip that question around because that that fascinates me. And I love, you know, what you're saying about that. And I agree totally. But do you ever feel that there are some areas of your life and work and um, everything, you know, you do your day to day where you almost long for that digital disruption in in, in an area or a sector where you just think, gosh, how are we still doing it this way when is somebody going to come in and and change that or conversely is it maybe that you know disruption has <laughs> has run out of places to go and you know everything has been disrupted what do you think no I don't think everything's been disrupted I think um, almost by definition it's going to be something we might not have considered previously so uh, if I use another mobility example I'll use electric scooters and so if you're thinking of companies like a bird, a wheels, a lime scooter, which I think is the largest in the world, um, and then those that are all over the globe, it, it wouldn't have occurred to me a couple of years ago that taking a scooter inside a, a metropolitan area would be a mode of transportation that not just young people kind of in their 20s or maybe even a little bit younger would be interested in. And yet we find kind of the average age of a scooter user being about 35, right? Much, much older than I would have expected. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an area of transportation that was disrupted um, that I wouldn't have guessed at, um, and certainly not the mode of transportation that's utilized. So, I, you know, when I even just look at where do I spend a lot of time on things? So I'll tell you what, I have um, five kids. And so as someone who's got five children, I often think, 
there's a lot of laundry here. <laughs> someone could someone could disrupt this um, part of my life, and I think I would be just fine with that. Um, so I think there's still opportunities where we see either chores like that that we're, we don't um, we don't love love doing, or just opportunities to do or see things that um, we might not have ever otherwise considered. I would love that. I we have a nickname for the the pile of ever growing washing in our house, which is Mount Washmore. Um, so, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I'm on board with that. The, the other area, obviously, and very topical at the moment, as of um, uh, because of the the U.S. elections, is um, is voting. And I know um, I saw a conversation on Twitter, very interested in Estonia, which is a very digitally um, advanced country, and a lot of their um, you know systems, um, governmental systems, are, are digital way beyond any other country. I don't know if you know much about um, e, sort of e-Estonia. Um, and um, they are entirely online when it comes to voting and have been, I think, for about over, for around 15 years. And um, obviously, things like that would make a big difference to the democratic process. Obviously, we're not getting into politics today, but I just think there are areas like that that maybe, um, you know, would really benefit um, from, from having that disruption. Yeah, well, I think, um, yeah, I don't want to get into the politics either, especially sitting sitting here in the United States on the day we are sitting here um, with a with an uh, uncertain outcome on our election. So uh, we won't go there, but I think you're on to something, and that certainly um, voting is a, an area that is ripe for um, for progress. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether it's, I think, you know, one of the challenges, of course, in the United States is that we're, I, I like to say we're the 50 we're the United States of 50 countries. So you've got to, you've got to get 50 different governments um, called states on board with whatever we do to move forward. But I, I actually think one of the huge opportunities there is with um, blockchain technology. So, of course, one of the concerns with any kind of voting technology or anything that has such a significant um, impact at, as an end result, as a deliverable, is the, the safety, security, privacy um, accuracy of the transaction. And, um, you know, I think we'll be able to look to blockchain in the future to, to help us secure election results. Yeah, I think you're right. And all eyes really, I suppose, in um, in this marketplace world that, that we, we exist in and work in and are so absorbed in is on blockchain and, and what that's going to mean um, for the future. Now, talking about um, uh, the the future the future of work is obviously a big area of what you do um now service or gig economy marketplaces are obviously the main part of that do you, do you work in any other areas of the future work because i know that term tends to also encompass things like um you know co-working and um you know maybe some of the financial services that support gig economy what what does it encompass in your world well, for our world, we're often looking at workers who use, I think of it as project-based work or independent contractors, and those can look like a lot of different things. So to your point, they could be what we call a gig worker, and that worker might be someone who drives for Uber. It might be someone who does a task for TaskRabbit. Um, it could be you know, anyone who's looking at kind of project-based work to create either a whole or part of their income. The, the interesting part for us is that um, it's, there's definitely not a black and black and white line, but 
you could see that someone who um, might have the kind of gig work we just talked about, which tends to be lower skilled, um, that's a significant part of our population. But there's also, um, when you're looking at these large tech companies and many other organizations, but I'll, I'll use tech as an example, um, when you're looking at some of the brand name companies, whether it's a Google or a Microsoft, a Cisco, some of those big name businesses, you know, they can have as much as 50% of their workforce as independent contractors. And, and those could be software engineers um, or any other um, highly paid uh, work worker. And so you say, well, what is what what does the complexion of the United States look like um, as a workforce? And what are the needs of these people who don't have the same safety nets that I have? as a full-time employee working for Aon, whether that's, I, th I think the first thing everyone kind of goes to is, okay, it's healthcare benefits. Well, it could be healthcare, and that's certainly a problem that needs to be solved. We're also talking about paid time off. You have a sick child, you stay home with your sick child for the day. For people who are being paid on a per hour basis, per, per gig, per, per mile, per whatever, um, taking that day off can be a real financial hardship. So, you know, it could be something like that. It might be um, a life insurance benefit. It might be retirement savings. So there's a lot of tools. Um, they might be accessible online, but it's hard to access them in a suite of services the way that you do as uh, as an employee of, mm -hmm. of a large organization. And so one of the, the areas that we are working toward is creating that suite of services independent of a specific employer, but, but potentially with the ability of those um, employers to participate financially um, in those kind of safety mechanisms. So it could be that, that I, as the worker, can purchase benefits at a discount or kind of value-added services as a discount or have access to a savings mechanism in just a streamlined and more efficient way than I can do um, by, you know, looking around online for those kinds of tools on my own. Mm -hmm. So I think it, it expands beyond gig and into this growing um, workforce uh, around independent contractor. And I mean that in a very broad, broad way. Yeah. And I think a lot of this disruption and innovation we're, we're talking about means, you know, change at, at pace. Um, why is it important that insurance you know, catches up and, and supports all this because I, I suppose, you know, things move along and change so fast, but, you know, insurance itself, you know, it, it has to kind of keep the same pace as, as other changes, I presume. And, and if so, why? Why is it important? Uh, why is it important that insurance, you, you went out for just one moment, Also, I apologize. Is the question, why is it important that insurance keeps the pace with yeah, these yeah. new emerging technologies? Yeah. Um, well, I think for insurance, you know, the whole purpose of insurance is to ensure that you are a going concern after there's been some kind of a loss. And so it's here to be a financial protection and really to kind of grease the skids of the business plan. If, if we're using it right, um, then what we're doing as a broker is approaching our clients and saying, you know, what's the business strategy that you are um, trying to progress? Help me understand your business. Forget insurance for a minute. And then I will help you understand the insurance tools that get you there. So the point of insurance should be to support the economic activity of a business and to be, again, a safety net so that should something um, happen that's unexpected, you've got the ability as a business owner, if you're if you're a small business or a large organization, to be protected and then move forward with your with your business. I hear the term 
well, the, the idea that you add tech to anything has become quite popular as a sort of um, composite word. FinTech is obviously prop tech, all these types of trust tech. Obviously, insure tech is, is used a, a lot these days. I see it a lot. What do you think that that encompasses? And, it, you know, is it overused as a term? Are people just slapping the term tech onto the end of something just because they've got a website or you know what do you think that uh, that term really defines there's probably some of that (laughs) (laughs) definitely um but I think it's really interesting so the insurance industry is a massive industry whether it's insurance brokers like AN that I represent um it's our clients and their participation by purchasing insurance policies Um, It's insurance carriers and the policies that they issue and and all of the claims um, that happen with those those policies and then the contributors to the claim. So if you have an auto claim, as an example, then you you might have a repair shop as part of that. So the insurance industry is is a gigantic and very complex, highly regulated, sophisticated marketplace. And I say that to say whenever you have a complex kind of organization like the insurance industry, there's, there's... many opportunities to create efficiencies. And I think um, to use your term, insure tech to me means we are seeing um, hundreds, thousands of um, companies who have a technology that can improve a part of our business and our business meaning insurance, whether that's facilitating um, claims payments, uh, understanding exposure data better, um, telematics information for for vehicles. There's all these little pieces where you say, I can make this part of the process better. And this part of the process might be very significant to the industry. So, you know, when I look at Aon, um, we look after about 1,200 insured tech companies at any one time. And that could be anything from just having a relationship with them to understand who they are and what their value proposition to our industry is, all the way up to um, an actual formal partnership or potential ownership um, in them. In fact, Aon bought um, Cover Wallet, or which has a cover startups um, element to it earlier this year in, in early 2020. And so begin with, and we look after them for a couple of reasons to say, can we make our business? Can we make Aon better? Is there something about these organizations that could be um, create efficiencies for us, create a value-added service to our clients? We also have clients who come to us, particularly our larger organizations, and say, we are looking for a technology to insert into our risk management processes. That might be telematics, that might be claims, that might be a REMIS system, it could be anything. Um, Do you, Aon, have recommendations around who we should be talking to? And this gives us a, a, um, a group of relationships that we can say, okay, here's the here's what our client's trying to accomplish. Let's dip into that 1200 and find someone with that, that we've kind of vetted to some degree that has the capabilities our client's looking for. So I, I think InsureTech is really interesting. A, a couple of years ago, the InsureTech conversation was, will it be InsureTech or will it be big brokers, big carriers? The answer is going to be both. The answer mm-hmm. is the InsureTechs help us get better and move more quickly, particularly into emerging markets um, as the, the legacy players. But as legacy players, we also bring context, regulation, sophistication, and client relationships to the table. So it, it's a win-win for, for our clients and for us as an industry to have a prolific insurtech um, community that we work alongside. And it's very collaborative by the sounds of it, which is in keeping, I suppose, with, you know, with the sharing and, and gig and, and platform economy. Um, no um, question. 
I'm going to ask you a question which is going to sound a bit like sort of Hello Magazine, but I'm intrigued by this. And I do mean this from the point of view of your work. Uh, what is a typical day for you? I'm intrigued as to, you know, how much you work on, on these these different areas and, you know, how much this digital disruption really, um, you know, really flavors what you do on a, on a day-to-day basis and what that actually looks like. Yeah. So a day today looks very different than it did a year ago. Um, I I always say in this, I've said this forever and I think I need to change a little bit about how I say it, but you know, clients in our business, our insurance carriers and our, our organizational clients are, you know, need to know that we have the technical prowess to get a job done and they have to want to sit across the table for us. So now I have to say they want to have to sit across the zoom from us. Um, And so my typical day used to be a lot of face-to-face meetings because that's how we build credibility with clients. That's how we build markets. Um, But a typical day for me is focused on emerging business models. And so some of that is um, I'm a sales leader of sort. And so it's my responsibility to initiate new relationships for our firm um, in the space that we've been talking about. Um, and, but the other probably 80% of my job is working with insurance carriers to get them um, an understanding of these business models, an understanding of what the exposures are that are being presented and help create what we call capacity in the marketplace, which means when we have a client that comes to Aon and says, you know, will you place my insurance program? We're able to say, yes, there's three different insurance companies that are interested in the type of business you are. With emerging businesses, insurance companies get nervous about that. They don't they don't have a history to look back on and, and have an understanding of it. And so they're not always ready to um, or, or eager to write some of this business. And so I, I see it as one of my um, number one roles inside of Aon is to help insurance carriers get comfortable with this type of business so that they do they can offer their limits and their insurance policies to clients in this space. Um, and then the other the other piece is helping our colleagues. So we have um, today we have about fifty thousand colleagues around the world, and um, those colleagues are servicing clients in the digital economy space, whether it's here in the United States or in Asia and Europe. And it's my job to make sure that they've got the tools and understanding of Aon to to do that well. So if we learn something new about a particular type of client or how to solve a problem, it's one of my jobs is to help kind of create thought leadership around that share that intelligence globally so that we're we're all you know serving our clients to the to the highest standard wow it sounds like you know no day is is going to be the, the same as the the previous um definitely the- not <laughs> <laughs> um now i want to focus in the last few minutes here on on something that sprung to mind really i suppose because i noticed that you were the the first woman that i've interviewed this series um, and I actually can't think if I did the last series either, which makes which suggests to me obviously that there's been um, been a lot of men, which you know it's been great, and I've had some really interesting conversations. But in the tech world that we both work in, obviously there are a lot of men, and I know that you are on Aon's Diversity and Inclusion Board, and I just thought we could have a conversation about that because there you. There are fewer women in leadership roles in tech. And I wondered, what does being on that board involve for you? And what changes, you know, would you like to see coming coming about as a result of boards like that? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, well, and I'll start by saying it isn't a board about not including men. It's a board about including everyone. 
And so it, you know, we, I, I strongly believe as does Aon that our best foot forward for ourselves as an organization and um, probably more importantly for our clients is to have a diverse group of thinkers working on the types of things our clients need us to be thinking about. Um, and our best, our best um, ideas, our best solutions come from people who have a different background around things and can bring different perspective. And that's going to come from people of different nationalities, of different genders, of different sexual orientation. And when we all come together, we have a stronger end result. So I'm not surprised that I'm your first, your first woman. Um, I often find when I'm looking at the Zoom screen that I'm the only, only woman or maybe one of two on, on the screen. We are a very male-dominated um, type of industry, particularly when you take the two, financial services, which is Aon, and then tech, which is the area I focus in. When you overlay that and you get higher and higher into leadership, um, you're going to find fewer and fewer women. Um, for Aon, one of the things about serving on the board, is, the Diversity and Inclusion Board, is about how do we take the idea that we want a, a diverse set of leaders within our organization and make that real? Because it's very easy to say, well, just, just hire a woman into that space, hire a person yeah. of color into that space. But if we're not growing those people in our industry from the time they're 22 years old coming out of college, then those leaders aren't ready to take the roles. There aren't people in the ranks, women, people of color, et cetera, in the ranks to promote into the leadership role. So it really starts with, you know, we've got to start from, from the ground up and build and grow people into these roles. And so on the board, a lot of what we spend our time on is a couple of things. How do we recruit? into those positions from non-traditional places. Because if we keep going back to the same places we've been going to for the last 50 years, we're going to keep getting the same results, mm -hmm. right? And, and we have often, and I think this is natural, is we reach into our own networks. Oh, we need someone to fill this role. Okay, well, let's, oh, I know this person. I know that person. They're really good. Let's call them. Well, who do we know? We typically know people that look like us mm -hmm. and have our similar backgrounds. So that doesn't change who we are as an organization. We need to, to, to reach more deeply. So one example that I'm really proud of that Aon has been working on is um, looking at things like it has been historically true of us as an organization that in order to get hired into Aon, you need to have a four-year degree in almost any job and within the organization. Four-year degree, um, we typically look at kind of high-end schools that have universities that have risk management programs or financial programs and we're kind of pulling from their top ranks. Well, you're automatically gonna be choosing a very white male um, cast of candidates for mm -hmm. those jobs right out of the gate. So one of the things that we've been doing is an initiative around working in our, particularly the larger cities. Um, I'm in San Francisco, we're doing it there. Our US headquarters is Chicago, we're doing it there. Um, New York, as an example, we have a number of cities participating in this where we're reaching into local, either community colleges, or city-based four-year universities um, for students who are there in their first or second or third year, and they can become employed with us while they finish school. And so all of a sudden, you're getting a group of people who are probably working during the day and going to school at night. Um, they might have gone to a two-year school um, to get uh, an associate's degree, and now they're starting a, a four-year degree. But you're accessing an entire population, typically of inner city people um, who needed a flexible work arrangement or other kinds of access in order 
to be considered for these roles. And that's just not, our formula wasn't meant to exclude them. We just didn't try to include them. Yeah. So, you know, what we're trying to do today is say, okay, tactically, what can we do that brings new people into the business um, when they're either early, you know, early in their career? And then the second piece of that is how do we keep them? Right. If you're the only person of color in a 200 person office, you might not feel very welcome. We've got to We've got to create a groundswell of diversity for everyone to want to be included and for it not to seem unusual. Yeah. Right. You don't want to be the only one who is when a, a woman. Right. Yeah. The only one who is. Color. So how do we create that? And then do some of these populations of people need need something that our traditional population of white male doesn't necessarily need. How, how can we mm-hmm. support the growth in the organization um, in, in a new and different way by hearing what their needs are and responding to them? And I actually think in both good and very revealing ways, um, sometimes negative, the pandemic has given us an opportunity to say, okay, wow, everybody's working from home now. We didn't, we didn't plan this, but this is what's happening. And we're seeing some of these issues kind of bubble to the surface around who's responsible for childcare how can we support employees in a new and different way? There's an element of it where it's leveling the playing field. And there's another element where we're saying, wow, mm. we really see the disproportionate burden on yeah. women. And so when we all go back into the workplace, whether that's tomorrow or you know, two years from now, how we, we've now seen what's happening. It's in, it's in your face in a way it wasn't before. How can we continue to, to be supportive of it? of our colleagues yeah and it's shone I think a a harsh light on on some things that you know I think the pandemic has done this in a lot of ways but and I think it's really interesting what you're saying because you know if you do one part of what you've said and you know look and, and cast the net wider when you're looking for talent to recruit unless you actually change the way that you work and um you know the 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 environment as well it it can just appear to be forced and and sort of tokenism really so the the whole thing has to change from start to finish doesn't it um and the you know the environment that that everyone works in has to feel inclusive as well as the actual process of of getting them you know to 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 you know work with you in in the first place and I think, you know, it sounds like you're doing a, a brilliant job and I'm really pleased to hear about that and um, excited to hear how it how it pans out as well. Yeah, I think we've made some good progress and there's a lot to go. And and, and our organization recognizes that. But, you know, I always say, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Let's take the bites that we can and, and move forward as much as we can and then continue to improve. Let's continue to look at ourselves as skeptically as we can and make as many improvements as we can while really listening to our colleagues and, and what they need. Julian, I get, we've crammed so much into half an hour um, from, you know, the election to uh, InsureTech <laughs> and now diversity. And I'm so pleased to have had you as a guest. It's been really interesting. And I hope you'll come back on another series as well. Oh, thank you, Al. It's been a true pleasure to be on. Thank you for tuning into the Master's Program Platform Podcast. Check out the Master's Program on the Marketplace Risk website at marketplacerisk.com, where you will find 12 tracks of content featuring over 80 speakers in more than 65 sessions. You can also download the mobile app to connect with participants, speakers, and sponsors from around the world. Be sure to follow us on social media at Marketplace Risk. Tune in next week for another podcast.